Hello, folks. Welcome back. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is the On Being Christian podcast. You'll have to forgive me today. I know I've I've had such a busy summer that I, I fell behind on these a little bit. The first reason was that I was doing youth camps. I did three that were back to back to back, and um, last week... I had very much intended to record a podcast, and you could probably still hear it a little bit in my voice. I had some problems with my voice, Um, lost my voice for almost a week, and it's still a little bit scratchy and weak, and so I'm going to go ahead and try to do this, and uh, hopefully it's not too distracting. I do have a guest in my studio today. The schedule for summer usually picks up super fast. And, uh, and so sometimes I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. In fact, my youngest is with me today. I'm going to, he's listening and, uh, he's doing the whole thing. I'm going to let him say hi. Say hi, buddy. Hi, I am (laughs) Nolan Ruby's son, and I am very happy to be able to be listening to this podcast. Hey, all right, buddy. And, uh, he, he was pretty excited about that. He's over here. He's got the, he's got the headphones on and he's got his Bible. He's ready to go. And so, um, Anyway, I wanted to I wanted to share a thought with you today, and I know I've talked about leadership before. Um, we've talked about leadership from different perspectives, but there was something that kind of occurred to me. There was something that I uh, came across just in my devotions out here in the mountains when I was doing these youth camps, and it was the idea of leadership connected to um, connected to the idea that it's entirely for the other person and not at all for us, which is opposite of what secular culture would say leadership is. But if you have just a moment today, we'll take, we'll, we'll talk about this first Chronicles chapter 12, verse 17 is the verse that got me thinking about all this. And it simply says this first Chronicles 12, 17, and David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, if ye become peaceably unto me, to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye become to betray me to mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands, that's a key thought there, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. And I was just kind of reading through on my way to somewhere else, just to be very honest with you in the scripture. And that thought stopped me. And there's two things in here that I want to focus on. The first idea is this phrase, mine heart shall be knit unto you. The second phrase is seeing there is no wrong in mine hands. And the idea of leadership specifically attached to service is what came to mind when I read this verse. My grandfather was one who taught me that service is a privilege. Leadership is the result of that privilege. You have to be, you have to be a leader to be able to serve people. First person you're ever going to lead is yourself before anybody ever wants to step onto that train, but leadership as it applies to service. Okay. So right away, I want to show you verse 17, David went out to meet them. There's a group of people coming to him, group of men coming to him and David went to meet them. Sometimes we think that it's always people who need to come to us. There's this idea that once you uh, achieve a certain amount of quote-unquote elevated status, 
that you no longer need to go to people, that you're too important, too busy, too occupied. People need to come to you. And I, I totally reject that idea. Leaders go to where the people are. That's just a simple thought, but it's one that I think has escaped most of us very, very often. Okay, so David went out to meet them, and he answered and said unto them, and here's his ultimatum, if ye become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. So let's define some terms here. He uses the term peaceably, which is a word for well and happy and friendly. And then he uses the word help with respect to their intentions in his life. And it means to protect or aid, to secure someone. And so he went out to meet them, and he said, if you become peaceably, if, you, if you're friendly, if you're well, if you're happy, if you become peaceably unto me to help me, to, to protect, to aid me, he says this, mine heart shall be knit unto you. Mine heart shall be knit unto you. That word knit is an interesting word. It's literally, it's kind of equal to the idea of braiding, where I'm going to take systems and I'm going to overlap them. And I'm going to create strength through connection. He says, I will knit my heart. In other words, I'm just not going to attach it. I'm not going to do like a quick release type of system here. I'm going to knit my heart to yours. We're going to talk. We're going to have conversations. We're going to become friends. We're going to become, uh, we're going to take on a, our, our relationship is going to take on a different flavor. I'm going to understand you. You're going to understand me. We're going to knit together. We're going to braid our thoughts, our intents, our purposes, our directions. We're going to funnel everything down that's different about us into the one thing or the one direction or the one intent that we share, the common purpose, if you will. David said, my intent with you is to knit my heart to you. Here's, here's the, here's the um, qualification. If you're peaceful and you came to help. If you're peaceful and you came to help, I will knit mine heart unto you. It goes on there and it says, uh, but if ye become to betray me, to be mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. He said, now the opposite of this is, is not my problem. He said, basically, uh, if you're coming for any other reason other than to be peaceably and to operate in a helpful way, then I'll just give you over to the hand of the Lord and I'll let the Lord deal with you. Okay. He uses the word betray, which is a word that means to delude or beguile, to delude or beguile. In other words, if you're coming to me to soften or to compromise truth or to water down my purpose, which at this point, in his life is a purpose that has been given to him from God. He said, I'm, I'm not going to knit my heart to you. I'm going to turn you over to the hand of the Lord. And now <laughs> Hebrews talks about the fact that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so that might be the worst possible thing for something like that to have happened, just to be turned over to the hand of the Lord. But my point here is 
he said two things. If you come to me peaceably and to help, I will knit my heart to you. And that's the idea I want to focus on, that idea of leadership that requires a relationship with people. The idea of leadership that requires the truth of service to people. He that shall be first shall be last, and he that shall be last shall be first, Christ said. And David, he went to where the people are and said, if you're here for peaceful, helpful reasons, I'm your man. I'll knit my heart to you. But if you're here for anything else, then I'm, I'm going to let the Lord deal with you. Okay. Now, the thing that I find really interesting is what type of men these were. Now, the society that you and I live in, we, you know, I used to work for a recruiting firm, um, not very long, because apparently I wasn't very good at it. But one of the things that I learned while I was working for a recruiting firm is that depending on where you're from and what your background is, there's different things that you can do to your resume to uh, to attract certain people who are targeting certain qualities. And if you want them to see that these qualities are qualities that you possess, you will change the wording in your resume to uh, expound on these qualities. So the military always was interesting because when you get when you go from the public service, military service to the private sector, you need to be able to find a way, to uh, articulate the correlation between the duties that you fulfilled in the military and the duties that you're looking to fulfill for a company in the private sector. And so it's a lot of um, uh, pontification, if you will. It's a lot of expounding. It's a lot of, for lack of a better term, it's a lot of bragging about what your abilities are, um, being very clear about what your abilities aren't. The secular society looks at people as commodities to further move their agenda along. So companies are looking for people that have the qualities they want. They're looking for people that have the attributes, the education, the temperament that they want, not because they want to be a blessing or a help or a profit to the people, but because business runs from the perspective of people being a blessing and a profit and an attribute to the company which is fine. That's exactly what business is. But that's not what true leadership is. David wasn't recruiting the best of the best of the best. He was knitting his heart to people that nobody else wanted. This is what made up the core group, if you will, of his mighty men. One of the greatest fighting forces that humanity has ever seen was under the leadership of King David. You see this in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. It says, everyone, let's start in verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and his father's, excuse me, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. 
So who is David knitting his heart to? The Bible uses three words, those who were in distress, those who were in debt, and those who were discontented. So David was making a force. He was gathering to himself people that the rest of the world had rejected. That's what true leadership... I don't want you to understand. These people that were in distress, these people that were in debt, these people that were discontented, these men had been mocked and rejected and turned away from a greater majority of society. And David took them because he was a leader. And he looked at leadership as an opportunity to do service. And he turned them into a group of men that we're still talking about some 4,000 years later. <laughs> That's leadership. Look at what these things mean. He says, everyone that was in distress. Distress is a word that means narrow and confined. To be in anguish because of how narrow and confined your choices has regulated your life to. In other words, these people were, they were distressed. There was pressure on them. They had removed a lot of the options in their life because of the choices that they made. They may not have been as defined like you and I would define them, good choices. They were bad choices. They were, they were just choices that tied them to things that were not beneficial. They were in distress. He goes on to say, and everyone that was in debt Debt is a, a term that simply means imposition or something that puts you in usury. They had signed contracts, if you will, for lack of a better term, that tied them to something that was, at this point, most likely, you could never get out from underneath it. They were owned. They weren't free. Some of it probably by their own choices and maybe other things not by their own choices, but nonetheless, they were in distress and they were in debt. They had, they had claims on their life. They had claims on the things that their hands could produce. What they were making and what they were bringing to the table was not their own. Other people had claims to it, right or wrong. It's the reality. It goes on to say, and everyone that was discontented. Discontented is a word that means um, like... It's a word, it's a compound of the word breathing and bitter. The, the Aramaic, the Hebrew word here, it's a compound of the word breathing. In other words, they were, every thought in their mind, their breathe, their life was a bitter existence. They weren't happy guys. They were, they were guys that were in distress. They were guys that were in debt. They were, they were men that were discontented. And because of these things, they were, they were narrow and constrained in their choices and, and the product of their hand and their life was not their own and everything was very bitter. Their, their life was bitter. Even if they had a good day, they would wake up to the reality of what their life was, which was a constant, everlasting bad day, so to speak. And David attracted these men. Why? Because he was willing to knit his heart to people who had rejected these men in almost every other walk of life. 
He wasn't chasing the best of the best of the best. He was taking the rejected and making them better than the rest. That's what leadership is. Someone once told me, it was a Marine Corps saying, things can be managed, but people must be led. We've got this idea that people are just a commodity, that they are to be managed and operated and established and, and scheduled. That's not what people are. People are the free, created children of God. And they have a right by God to worship God and to live as they so see fit, the, the freedom of conscience. The only one that can clear the conscience, according to the Bible, is Jesus Christ. David wasn't looking for people to plug into positions that he had already uh, decided were needed. He looked for people, and he used people as they were uh, most beneficial to themselves. It wasn't about them elevating his position. It was about him elevating their position. That's a huge, huge difference. And when he did elevate their position, their elevated positions elevated him. And that's what the mark of a true leader is. He knit his heart to the narrowly confined, those who were in anguish, those who were under usury, those who lived bitter lives. You ever met someone that just, even if they were having a good day, the threat of tomorrow was coming, and they knew, even if I have a reprieve from my life, my life is waiting for me. You know what that type of person needs? That type of person needs a leader. The rest of the world has been programmed to dismiss that person because that person can't do anything for the rest of the world. Folks, this is not a game. I'm, I'm a pastor, and I deal with people who, who struggle with this type of rejection all the time. I'm a chaplain for the Salt Lake City Police Department, and I go on calls where people couldn't take the rejection anymore, and they, they, they chose a permanent solution for a temporary problem. And then I'm talking to their family, talking to their husbands, their wives, their fathers, their mothers, trying to offer some comfort. And my heart breaks for them because what did they need? They needed a leader. They needed a leader. And the world that you and I live in has reduced people to products to be managed. And we call it leadership, and it's not. It's a farce. It's a joke. It's not real. People don't need to be managed. People need to be led. And true leaders elevate the people they love because they knit their hearts to them. They don't use people as products to elevate themselves. And that's a big, big difference. Okay. <clears throat> now, how is this done? How is it? How do you, how do you knit your heart to the people that are in distress, people that are in debt, people that are discontented? Well, there's a very important phrase here that I want to draw your attention to. If we go back to our text here, First Chronicles twelve seventeen. My son is over here looking at me. He's trying to be so quiet. And, uh, and turn his pages very stealthily. I'm proud of you, buddy. You're doing great over there. You, do, you doing okay? I'm going to turn this on for you. You doing okay? Yeah. 
Yeah, you're doing okay? Is it you learning anything? Yes. Yes? All right. Sounds good. All right. First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 17, the Bible says here, And David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, If ye become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye be come to betray me to mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in my hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. I want to focus on that phrase, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands. David was expressing an unbelievable amount of confidence here. And where did the confidence come from? Well, it came from the Lord, but specifically it came from the fact that he was very well aware that he had a very good relationship with the Lord, and he knew that because his heart, his hands, there was no wrong in his hands. His motives were pure. Do you know why it's hard to find good leaders today? Because it's hard to find people whose motives are pure. People's motives are increasingly becoming more centered on self, self-promotion, self-propagation, self-advancement, and those motives aren't pure. When your motives are not pure, when your hands are not clean, when there's wrong in your uh, direction, you cannot knit your heart to those who need you because you yourself are in need of leadership. I am increasingly convinced that the, if not the greatest majority, close to, <laughs> close to a majority of those who would consider themselves leaders are nothing more than self-centered managers using people up like commodities and just going on to the next one when they need it. Somebody once told me the average lifespan, the entire lifespan of a church is 12 to 15 years. It just doesn't live longer than that. Folks, I totally and completely reject that nonsense. I come from a church that is going on 50 years old. The people that started the church that I'm from, the church that started the church that I'm from is close to 75 years old and serving the Lord at a higher level than they were at the beginning. Why? Because they've got good leaders. They have leaders who understand that it's not about advancing their own position. It's about advancing the position of the men and women who are in distress and debt and who are discontented, who come to church. Someone once told me, I don't like going to church. There's too many hypocrites there. That's like saying I don't want to go to the gym because there's too many fat people there. Of course there's hypocrites at church. Where do you think they would go? Where else are they going to go? They're trying. What type of people does Jesus attract? The Bible says that Jesus said, I come not to heal uh, those that need not a physician. I'm, I'm butchering this phrase, but the, the verse talks about the fact that Jesus says, uh, I'm come to heal people who know they're sick. If you don't need a physician, you're not going to be attracted to me. There's this idea within Christianity that has been tied to secularism, and it breaks my heart, that we're supposed to pursue people who can elevate us, that we're supposed to pursue people who are of a higher status. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the ultimate example of this. David showed us a wonderful example of this. Jesus Christ said, where I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. And David was attracting people 
who needed to be loved, people who were in distress, people who were in debt, people who were discontented. How did he do it? There was no wrong in his hands. He wasn't tied to anything. He had a pure motive. He had a clean conscience. <laughs> Folks, if you are going to be a leader, you must be separated from the things that would attach usury to you. Relationships can't come between you and the Lord. Money and agendas cannot come between you and the Lord. Your own personal goals and aspirations cannot come between you and the Lord. If you want to be used by the Lord to be a leader for people who need to be loved, then you have to have clean hands. You'll never lead anyone if you can't lead yourself. Being able to be a help, a knit, to be able to knit our hearts to those who need it most starts with having clean hands. Clean hands is where the confidence comes from to be a help to people who need it. You can't give that which you don't have. And if I'm burdened and loaded down with attachments and connections to things that I shouldn't be attached and connected to, then how in the world is the Lord going to use me to attach myself to people who need to be loved? How am I, who am in distress and debt and discontented, going to attract others who are in the same boat? Look, David attracted people to his position because he elevated them. He took away the distress, the debt, the discontentment. And as a result, he was able to build one of the most fiercest fighting forces the, the world has ever seen. If you've ever done any study on David's mighty men, these guys were no joke. The Bible talks about their skill at a level that hasn't been recorded since this time. There's a story in the Bible where Saul was looking for David. David was in a cave, and Saul came into the cave. And one of David's mighty men told David, listen, this is the day you've been waiting for. You say the word. And the man literally said, I will stake Saul to the earth. There won't be anything left. He said there's not, there won't be any, they won't even be a kick. In other words, there won't even be like a post-mortem response. Listen, I'm talking to you about a guy who was so physically skilled at war that he would able he was able he was confidently able to say David you give me the green light I'll end all your problems right now and David's hands were clean David said over and over and over again I will not put my I will not put forth my hand against the Lord's anointed which at that time was Saul he wasn't going to do it even though the whole world thought he had the right to he wasn't going to do it and you know what that created that created a loyalty to him from men who hadn't ever been loyal to anything. Do you know what it takes to govern a man of that level of skill? You had stories of men going behind enemy lines to get David a drink of water. You had stories of men taking on three, four hundred people at one time. You had stories of men who were running through the mountains, the Bible says, as swift as rose, which is like a mountain Asiatic deer. These men, the Bible said they had faces of lions. They were experts in war. They could hurl stones with the right hand and with the left. 
These were warriors. These were killers. These were fighters. And David could control them with nothing more than his words. Why? Because he loved them. Because he was a leader. Because they were loved. He knit his heart to those that were in distress and debt and discontented. And how did he do it? He made sure that his relationship with the Lord came first and foremost over everything else. His hands were clean. His motives were clean. His conscience were clean. I'm so tired of this secular idea that says to be a good leader, you don't have to be a good person. That's nonsense. That's stupidity. That's stupidity. Moral rectitude is a requirement of leadership. Anything else is just management. And on a long enough timeline, when you see people who are being managed by an immoral person, you'll see that he takes the skill of their life, he takes or she takes their wealth, their natural ability, he uses it up until it's all gone, and then he gets rid of them and pulls the next thing in. They're parasites working their way through the lives of people. It's it's exhausting to me. It's maddening to me, all the while calling themselves leaders. These pastors who use people up in churches to elevate themselves in their position, and they go through members like, like an amusement park. They just run them through, take their worth, get rid of them, move on to the next person. It's a joke. It's a joke. Folks, I'm sorry. I, I just... I've had it up to just, I've just, it, it, it absolutely infuriates me watching people who claim to be godly leaders remove value from people's lives and then just keep on going, claiming themselves most of the time to be the martyrs in the situation. It's maddening. True leaders love people. True leaders go to where the people are. True leaders attract those who need love, not those who don't think they need it. By the way, we all need it. It's just a matter of whether or not we understand it. And so seeing there is no wrong in my hands was David's words. You can find this throughout the Bible. Psalm 24 and verse 3 is where we'll start on this idea of clean hands. Psalm, Psalm 24 um, see if I can get there. And verse, uh, verse three is where this starts. The Bible says, who shall ascend into the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him. That seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Pure hands. Who shall ascend? Verse 4, he that hath clean hands. Pure heart. Who's going to be lifted up? The ones who have clean hands and pure heart. Now, the Bible says that principality and powers govern this earth and that there's wickedness in high places. Folks, those are nothing more than glorified managers. And they're not managing a product. They're looking at people as a product, using them up and moving on to this next thing. They have one agenda, 
elevate themselves above everything else, take all the value they can and run. That's their only agenda. Folks, listen, we, we live, it's so hard on this podcast to not go political because everything has become political because politics has become religion. That's exactly where we are today. Left wing politics is not so much political as it is a blind religious loyalty to an ideology that is anti-American, anti-God, anti-truth, anti-authority, anti-masculinity. It's, it's just complete, absolute rejection of everything that God says is good. It's anti-femininity, true femininity, true uh, woman worthiness. It's, it's anti-anything that God says is good. Political left-leaning nonsense has become anti-that. And they've tried to say, well, it's from the position of equity and inclusion and all this nonsense. It's really nothing more than a prolonged position of compromise with falsehood. By the way, you can't compromise with falsehood. Truth is 100%. As soon as I have 99% truth and 1% a lie, I have a 100% lie. Truth does not exist with lies. Truth exists in its objective entirety. If I were to compromise the truth, I'm compromising the entirety of the truth, not just one aspect of it. And that's what politics has become, just a continual assault on the truth. And now we're like 50% truth, 50% lies. The country's cut right down the middle. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's up, what's down. We can't figure out what a man is, what his roles are, what a woman is, what her roles are, what children are, how they're supposed to be protected when life starts. We can't figure out any of it. Why? Because we've lost the moral rectitude of leadership. We've lost the righteousness of men who put their relationship with God before everything else. It's nothing but a bunch of managers removing worth from everyone. And we're told to smile and take it because that's what compromise looks like. And that's not what compromise looks like. That's what defeat looks like. We're being defeated in real time. And we're too concerned to offend anybody to make any different decisions. It's absolutely maddening. What does real leadership look like? It looks like clean hands. It looks like pure motives. That's what real leadership looks like. Real leadership attracts people who are in distress and who are in debt and who are discontented. Not because they're going to say, come to me and I'll give you everything you want. It's because they say, come to me and I'll teach you how to give yourself through personal responsibility everything the Lord wants you to have. You see, we have this idea that compassion looks like enabling and that's not what compassion is. Compassion is not separated from the truth. To enable somebody to live in a lie is the worst type of rejection of a person you can do. The truth is what matters. And true love, true love looks like telling a person to live in the truth, not to live in lies. James chapter 4 and verse 8 James chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says here, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. How do you be a good leader? Clean hands, pure heart. 
you understand that without Christ, the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? Christ is the cleaner of our heart. He's the one who gives us a, the, the, a pure conscience. And so how do I be a good leader? Well, I have to have godly leadership in my own life. How do I have godly leadership in my own life? It starts with accepting Christ as the one who paid the debt for sin that you and I could not pay. That's where it starts. It continues with, as Paul said, I die daily, clean hands and a pure heart. Folks, without these things, there's no way to lead because your leadership becomes nothing more than management. And you're not managing for the benefit of the product. You're managing the product for the benefit of you. That's called usury. That's not leadership. That's subjectification. That's subjectification at its best. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I'll read 16 through 20. In Wasatch Front Baptist Church, we are studying out of Isaiah right now. We just finished our 93rd message out of the book of Isaiah, and we're just now in chapter 33. So I, uh, I've been in Isaiah for a little bit. Isaiah is a wonderful book. It's kind of referred to as the mini Bible. There's 66 chapters in the book, and there's 66, chap- 66 chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah is quoted more in the New Testament, really, than any other book. It's a wonderful book. Look what it says here. Isaiah chapter 1, 16 through the end of the chapter, excuse me, 16 through 20. It says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This is so clear, folks. Verse 17, or verse 16, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings. Verse 17, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless. Verse 18 says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He says, look, this is not hard. You do this and I'll be with you. You don't do this, then the sword will devour you. Folks, right now as a country, We are not doing well. We are not washing ourselves. We're not making ourselves clean. We're operating from a totally, completely selfish perspective. Everyone's doing nothing more than elevating their own position at the cost of the subjectification of every single other person around them. That's not leadership. That's usury. The Bible says, the Lord says, you keep going like that for much longer and you'll devour yourself. The snake is eating its own tail. We're building a system that cannot last. Here's my point. There's a theory referred to as as the circles of influence. If you picture in your mind with me a target, like a dartboard, 
you are the center. The very center of that target is you. Okay. The very outer rings of that dartboard would be things like, you know, international politics, um, the president of the United States, things like that. Most of the time, most of us spend all of our time worrying and fretting and thinking and talking about the most farthest outer rings, the rings that aren't connected to us in any way, and we can't do anything about it. Okay. But in reality, the closer the rings are to us, the, the more representation they have over things that we can actually touch. So if the second ring out from the center would be your wife and children, your home. The third thing out from the center would be your community, maybe your employer, your employees, your neighborhood, your, your town. Okay. As you go out to that fourth ring, now you have maybe your city, your state, extended family, things like this. Most of the time, we blow past all the rings of influence that we actually are touching to talk about and fret over the things that are furthest away from us that we can't do anything about. You know how you do something about the rings that are the farthest away from you? You expand your reach. How do you expand your reach? You start with the rings that are closest to you. What's the ring that's closest to you? Well, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but it's you. If you can't control your own motivation, your own life, your own desires, how in the world are you going to be a benefit or a blessing to your wife, your husband, your children? If I can't keep my home in order, how am I going to do anything for my community? We, Folks, again, like I said, it's not political, but it is. We literally have a president whose own life is a shamble. It's, it, it's, a, it's a, a collection of misery and heartache. And he's the leader of the free world. Are you kidding me? That's not a leader. That's not a leader. What is a leader? A leader is someone who looks at service as a privilege. A leader who is someone who elevates those around him, doesn't use those around him to elevate himself. A leader loves people, people that have been rejected and turned away by most of the rest of the world. A leader will gather those types of people, elevate those people, love those people, not for his sake, but for their sake. And those people, the rejected, the distressed, the debted, the discontented, are the ones who will change the world when someone loves them. That's what a leader can do. How does he do it? He has a clean hands and a pure heart. He doesn't let anybody come between him and his relationship with the Lord. He makes sure that his motives are pure, that his desires are not for himself but for others. I tell my kids all the time when they get it. In fact, yeah, well, I have a kid right here. Let's get him on. When you guys start fighting, I'm going I'm to bring you in here. Okay, are you on the mic? Here you are, okay? When you kids start fighting, what's the one thing that I tell you? Think of others. Think of others. Think of others. Because if you think of others, what does it do to the fight? Stops. Why does it stop? Because you're not thinking of yourself at all. It's really hard to fight with someone when you're putting them first, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Folks, that's just how simple it is, isn't it? A leader thinks of others. When you put yourself last, it's hard to fight over what you want when your motivation is to give other people what they need. 
Isn't that clear? It's, I mean, it's just, it's right there. It's, it's so available. I have a 10-year-old child in here from the mouth of babes who just said, yeah, think of others. That's how easy it is. Just think of others. If we do the right thing, ladies and gentlemen, the generation that comes after us will be able to reach much further than you and I ever could for the cause of the Lord. The generation that comes after us will strengthen our nation not weaken it. But we've had generation after generation after generation after generation of weakening people. Why? Because they didn't have any leaders. It'll turn around when we have good leaders, and it can start with you. It can start with you leading yourself. And from there, you can push out those rings of influence to your direct family. And from there, your community, your employee, your church, your neighborhood. From there, your city, then your state, then your nation. It starts with one person who decides to live a pure life. One of the things that has gotten us into the problems that we are in is we vote for the lesser of two evils because we think, well, we have to compromise to get what we want. Nope, I'm done with that, folks. I vote my conscience. And if I can't do that, then maybe there's more being requested of me than just being a voter. I have one more verse for you. From the mouth of David, we see something that helps us understand what it looks like to be correctly focused. First Chronicles chapter 17. First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 20. Look what the Bible says here. Actually, I'm going to back it up. First Chronicles 17, let's start in verse 11. This is uh, the, the son of David, Solomon, who's to build the temple. It shall come to pass when thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up the seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me an house, and I will establish his throne forever. This is talking about what God will do with the next generation. Verse 13, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will take, excuse me, I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee, but I will settle him in mine house and in mine my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Here's David's response, verse 16. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? O Lord God, what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? That thou hast brought me hither? He says, How in the world, why would you bring me of all people here? Verse 17. And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God, for thou hast also spoken of my servant's house for a great while to come and hast regarded me according to the estate of of a man of high degree, O Lord God. Why can David speak more to thee? What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. O Lord, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things. Verse 20. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee? According to all that we have heard, 
with our ears. What's the proper focus of a leader? David's words, O Lord, there is none like thee. Leaders who begin to think that it's about them become nothing more than perverse managers, taking the wealth of the world for their own benefit. Leaders who remember there's no one like our God. They will subject themselves to put people first. They will lift up the ones who are in distress and and in debt and discontented for the glory and honor of the Lord. That's what a leader is. So my question to you today is, are you a leader? Or are you just someone who's taking people and using them for your own benefit? If you're a church leader, a pastor, a preacher, a deacon, do you understand the value of going to where the people are and lifting them up instead of instead of making them and their life something that lifts you up? Do you remember that it's all about the Lord, not about you at all? It's all about the Lord, and it's not about you at all. True leaders understand that. They live that. They practice that, and they attract people That's what John the Baptist did. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And you know what happened? All the leaders of John the Baptist left him and followed Jesus Christ. That is the greatest compliment a leader could ever have. Moral rectitude with the objective doctrine and reality of the self-existent one, Jehovah, God the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Leadership is moral. Leadership is righteousness. You cannot be a morally deprived good leader. They don't exist. You can be a morally deprived manipulator and control people, but on a long enough timeline, that always comes out in the end, and people see you for what you are. So what are you? Here's the benefit of this entire thing. You don't have to be anything other than a good leader as long as you understand who it is that's doing this through you. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love you. Thanks so much for spending time with me. Thanks for being with me today, buddy. You want to say bye? Go ahead. Bye. Bye. (laughs) That that was deep words there, bud. (laughs) I'm going to have a word of prayer, and we'll be all done, and I'll talk to you next time. My intention is to do these every week. That's been what I have been able to do uh, for over almost 30 podcasts now, but every once in a while, life hits you, and uh, it's really hard to do a podcast when you have no voice. So I appreciate your patience. Let's pray, and I'll talk to you next time. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done, and as we wrap this up, Lord, I pray that you'd help these truths to go with us, that we would dwell on them, that they would alter what we do, not just what we think, but what we do. As always, Father, we leave these things in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for being with us.